welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals uh, episode shit uh 16 17 17 oh it's getting away from me okay uh still covering darling and the franks coming down to our kind of fourth act here i'm alex and this is brian and this week we have a new guest who has also covered franks in the past and we're really excited to hear his opinions please welcome alan hey good evening or morning wherever you are uh i'm alan (laughs) from the remaru files so uh, Raymond Files is basically a website that cover- originally covered um, mech stories and video games. Still pretty much that, but we're more in video games now. Yeah, like I follow you on YouTube. It's a pretty diverse channel. Like you also do like unboxings. The video game coverage seems pretty up to date. It's, it, it's, it doesn't have a lot of subscribers, so I'm surprised that Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) uh, My algorithm likes your channel, I think. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, But uh, also uh, convention coverage. I don't know how extensive that is a a part of the routine. If it's big enough or if we're invited, we're there. Has changed because things have changed. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So you've been invited to conventions like local. For example, the the Manila Major for Dota 2 or uh, Manila Pop Comic Con, stuff like that. Like okay. uh, the media circles aren't that big in PH, but they know that we're multilingual. So in Southeast Asia, we uh, we found us valuable. All so right. they give us a lot of access. Wow, cool! Would you get in political trouble if you identified like what's your favorite event? Uh, no, not really. I mean, okay. I'm not sp- <laughs> I'm not speaking on an official <laughs> capacity. <All right. laughs> so what would you? What event would you look forward to the most? It's hard to remember now because it's 2019. Uh, well, it's, it's gonna have to, all right, it's gonna have to be like ESGS. It was that was insane. Um, kind of kind of biased there because I know the people that work on it, mm-hmm. but uh, that's basically the that's basically E3 in the Philippines. And oh, cool! They make it a point to have people visit that I really want to meet. Like for example, the, the the father of the Metroidvania games, which is Koji Igarashi. Like what is a man? Biggest one of the mm. biggest interviews I was able to nail. Like, damn, that was fun. That was fun. That is huge. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. It was before um, he released Bloodstained, and he was so surprised that everybody was just really will, uh, really wanted to try out his game. And we were like just gushing over how close it was to so- Symphony of the Night, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, my, just one last question about yeah, uh, Rimuru Files. Uh, where does the name come from? Uh, that's actually from the founder. Okay. He originally just started out as a blog covering an online game. And uh, he started doing conventions. First, it was uh, kind of ogling at cosplayers. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, taking pictures with them, uh, featuring them, making a feature video out of the convention out of it. And things just kind of spiraled from there because I had the guts to talk to cosplayers and he did it. <laughs> nice. Well, you're the one that we want on our podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, one of the things I tried to do was, yeah, uh, try to interpret anime. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Darting in the Franks. Daddy. The reason, well, everybody wanted to interpret Darting in the Franks because it was, oh, this is like Ava. Everybody's thinking, this is going to be like another Evangelion because look at, look at the studio, look at the people behind mm-hmm. it. The, look, the throwbacks were insane. Like from episodes one to eight, like, what is this explosion? Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I formed a w- weird connection to the series. Because I could, I sort of got what it was trying to say. Only it was pretty clumsy about it, especially when it went full Gainax mode along the. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we, I, we'll make a note about that. We should continue that conversation in the spoiler section. Sure. Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Although I will say, um, your channel has a great analysis video of Frank's, and it's impressive because it covers the whole series, uh, which 
I've not seen too many videos that, that, you know, took on that challenge, but anyway, I found it very fascinating. Oh, and, thank uh, you so much. It does get into existentialism a bit there too. Oh man. I mean, I guess what, what really drove me to it was how much it reminded me of Gene Jeff. If any of you took it out before. No, never. What's that? The elevator pitch? What's that? Okay, Gene Shaft is a space sci-fi series. The premise is that humanity has advanced so much and it it didn't change course where the women started reproducing more than men. And it came to the point where it's like 40s to 1 and men kind of became authority figures. But that's that's just the hook, right? It became this uh, Plato-based society. Or everybody is kind of decided what they're going to be at birth. Okay. And since there's the, the ratio of men to women is abysmal, they're just all petri dish babies. So nobody even knows okay. about sex. Ah. Okay. And how old is this? Pretty recent, or how old is this? Super old. Like oh. I would say, uh, man, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of EXN as a channel because we're in completely different regions. Uh, 1996 to 2000, somewhere there. Okay. Nice. Okay. Cool. My era. I guess that's officially old school these days. Yeah. Oh my god, the nineties is throwback, baby. Great. <laughs> the late nineteen hundreds. Yeah, eighties to nineties is where enemy got super wild, mm-hmm. like really wild. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then we have our our the usual moral busy body bodies when it was getting mainstream, and that yeah. that's when it started toning down. Mm-hmm. You know, it just I'm going to take us off track for a second. It is it's interesting to me. Uh, how different the expectations are from the anime community that's been around since the 80s to the ones that have only been getting in in the last five years. What would the new school find shocking versus what the old school is like? Oh, you've never <laughs> heard of Urotsu Kudoji. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think it's because it's it was a niche thing back then and it, it was everybody's playground. So studios wanted to take it as far as they could, right? Uh, just take these creative mm. visions as far as they could. It's like kind of like YouTube now. Well, was like maybe five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's a a natural progression, I think. Yeah, and now anime is comparatively like super mainstream to what it was. I mean, you know, not everyone has a favorite anime series, but almost no one's like, oh, I've never seen a Miyazaki film. Oh yeah, damn Disney Mm -hmm. proliferating everything. (laughs) (laughs) And Alan, do you have? You've got your own access to streaming. Yeah, I got Netflix. Okay. Okay. Cool. Oh, it's on Netflix there. Oh, oh wow. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's not on Netflix there. Oh my god. No. no. I mean, anime is like the next streaming war. It kind of has been for the past year. So I was expecting <laughs> it to be anywhere. Oh my god. Hold on. Stop the presses. I just made a weird observation. Yeah. So there's been some chat in like analysis videos about um, there's like a certain flag that's used uh, that's looks a lot like the topographical layout of the plantation with like the bodies of water. It's on a flag. It's also on the ceiling of apes council chamber. And it made me wonder if like every, I guess maybe they're not called mistletane, but every dome of every plantation that houses the parasites, I wonder if it's the exact same layout, with like these bodies of water here, this oh, housing the center there. And, uh, oh, I see. And like within the the dome itself, and like the lines aren't there, but then the lines above it kind of make it yes. seem like. Yes, and that's are. what I just now noticed. The lines, the structural grid of the actual dome, looks exactly like the low orbiting satellite that Ape is in. It's like that oh. tripod sort of windmill thing. 
Hmm. Recurring themes and triggers kind of a like they kind of do that a lot. Yeah, everything's a goddamn mirror. Funhouse over here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last time on The Young and the Beast Princess, Mistletane miraculously made it through the claw of the Klaxo Queen. But while Papa considered what flavor his next genocidal action would be, Squad 13 was left to fend for themselves, mostly. Mitsuru met Hiro down by the river to discuss water needs and get a little further into their are we friends again yet conversation. Zero Two played town crier, fished with Goro, and dipped into a secret honey stash to make the rations more palatable. Kokoro found time to give Mitsuru a haircut and his first kiss, which went about as well as it could be expected. The gang worked together to make a meal which they enjoyed sharing until Zorame outed Futoshi for alleged bulimia. After an awkward confrontation, everyone shared their fears and felt closer for it. Finally, Hiro and Zero Two got some alone time which wasn't so much interrupted as punctuated by the scream of the last survivor of the Blue Man Group. Will the squad break Papa's psychological control completely? Can domestic bliss last? I know I said it before, but can someone please hit 9 Alpha? Let's find out. Oh, hey, I did remember my anime news. Oh, cool. Sad news in the world of anime. Oh, no. The, the Gundam cafes are closing down in Japan. Yep. Uh, For good. Yeah. Wait, why is that sad? Well, if you were planning a trip to Japan and doing like an otaku tour, like a Gundam cafe would have been one of the things on the list. Because uh, in Odaiba, th- th- there's the RX-78, the giant RX-78. Uh, I think there's also the Unicorn, and they're right next to the Gundam Cafe. So that kind of completes the journey. You know, That kind of is your, your Gundam pilgrimage, so to speak. So the fact that there's no um, place to stop, even for like overpriced coffees and, and meals <laughs> with the Gundam theme on it, like it, it's, it's sad because yeah. uh, that also means that, well, tourism is really, really down in Japan for obvious reasons. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, but I'm sorry for anyone who wants Gundam branded coffee. When they're <laughs> their giant stash. Uh, okay, cool. Um, Brian, do you want to count us in? We'll all sync sure. our watch up and talk. All right. Uh, I'm going to press play in three, two, one, go. Oh, is this our Ikuno episode? Everything comes yeah. to an yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Well, the closest thing we get to one. The only difference is. So there was a question about the, the passage of time between this episode and, and the last one. And the last one, the, uh, the cherry blossoms were just we'll starting to bud. In and in this, they're lives. already falling off the trees. So maybe so, two weeks. Hey. I can't remember what the window is for Why those things. Here? It's normally a month. Normally, oh, a month. Uh, okay. Cherry blossoms last for a month. And that sounds about right, considering uh, they, have, they haven't really tried to grow any food. They're just trying to make do with what they got. Around a month is a correct timeline there. They're certainly a unique squad, although hopelessly imperfect. They are fundamentally different from you and us. Now that's uh, one of the most interesting things he ever said in the series Mm. that they consider themselves complete but they actually it feels like they have a lot less than what humans do oh yeah are you all right Uh, yes i am thank you what are you doing over here just exploring the place don't tell the others okay you can count on me have a good night then Uh uh-oh Love that music. Yeah. Child birth, fetuses. Perfect Halloween music. These are the ones that taught anyone. We're going to rescore John Carpenter's Halloween, but with the Darling and the Friends soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
so oh. excited. Oh my gosh, I love this episode. All right. All right. So if I were to summarize what I found in this episode in like a few one or two sentences, it's more mm-hmm. yeah. It's entitled it's titled Eden, presenting the idea that in like the biblical stories. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm thinking as a talk, so it's gonna be sure, no, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Free associate. So would man had stayed in Eden or they have never changed if they were just left alone, you know, no snakes to to uh, tempt them with knowledge of whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to look like through Zero Two and through Hukuril, that's not true. They're trying to explore their own possibilities. They're even trying to form their own culture away from what was taught to them. Like what this, they're trying to find a new uh, way of living. So they were all set knowing that this is the truth from, from eight. And mm-hmm. now that they're left their own, de- their, de- their own devices, just give it enough time. And they try to do self-actualization on their own. Mm. All right. Well, I am, I'm going to give you a response to that at the end during our spoiler section. Uh, but I love that we're just going to hit the ground running. <laughs> no, I love it. And, and uh, yeah, the more direct and more nuanced parallel of the, the tree of uh, there's two trees in the garden of Eden. Okay. Right. One of the immortal life. The other one is knowledge of good and evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one that they eat is the knowledge of good and evil tree. And because they eat that one, they don't eat the immortality tree. Right. Yeah. So that means that our kids, one, are never going to become immortal like the adults. And two, it's not that Kokoro and Mitsuru get together at the end. It's not the sexual act. That means the fall from Eden and the the fall from grace in the eyes of the uh, God, Yao or uh, uh, Papa. It's actually just as much that scene where they were talking, where one of you noted like Hero was like, maybe we could do something beyond what Papa wants us to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, there Mm -hmm. it is. And it's the same as Kokoro and Mitsuru doing this, not because it's sexual necessarily, but it's because it's something that Ape told them they couldn't do. Or something they never told them was a possibility. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. So I, I, I won't do all my thoughts on this right now. But uh, one thing I will speculate about is that we've seen other squads at different plantations, getting back to your question, Alan, um, who have not eaten the apple. Like they're still in Eden. They're still living a simple existence, just as Frank's pilots, living just as the indoctrination that's handed to them. Mm. They ha- have not had access to the figurative knowledge of good and evil. Oh, but that raises all kinds of other questions. I think it's because squad 13 is kind of a, there's a special case. That's why they're they're allowed to have deviated designs for their units. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. The system is a lot more lenient on them because they're, they're Dr. Frank's personal project, which raises another question because gosh, we're getting way out out of order here. But like when Nana has her meltdown, when they're interrogating Kokoro, uh, she says to her, don't go thinking you and your squad are somehow special. Like you're not oh, that special. Yeah. And then she like goes into the fetal position or whatever. All right. <laughs> we, 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 we'll, we'll get there in a minute. <laughs> so, so let's kick us off. This is the Ikuno episode. We start out with Ikuno's narration. As close as we're going to get to an Ikuno episode. It does not center around her, but she does get to open and close the episode in a way. Mm-hmm. And we get two really Kodak Ikuno moments. Mm-hmm. She's one of my favorites here. And so, well, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Right. But like while she's narrating, like she's on the porch reading, she's watching the uh, cherry blossom, the sakura petals fall 
That gives us an idea of the passage of time. Alan, I think you mentioned the blossoming period. It's about a month. Yeah. The cherry blossoms. Maybe I'll, I'll say I think we're at the two-week mark. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere there. You'll have to help me remember this opening scene because I thought we had a saw a few different characters. Like we saw Mitsuru. So this is Ikuno's former partner. And did we mm-hmm. see Ichigo as well? I think there's a quick shot of Ichigo. And we also get a quick shot of Kokoro outside of... Oh, that's cute. I didn't think about that. So she's in, she's at Mitsuru and her spot, right? The little garden, the little uh, greenhouse, mm-hmm. but, and she's reading her book, but she's outside of the greenhouse. Yeah. Oh, so that the knowledge of the book is what's bringing her outside of the garden, right? Yeah, yeah. She's reading it in private because it might be something that's difficult to bring up at the, at the piece yes. where she was. Yes. So I'm going to get a little loosey-goosey with our religious mythology. I love it. So as we said, like the episode is called Eden. We have Kokoro who gets the book. This is our figurative apple. It's even like red and beige. Yeah, it is. It is. So she's kind of like our Eve. And I guess Mitsuru is kind of like our Adam. And I felt like Ikuno was our Lilith, who is a part of that uh, Genesis mythology, but not in the judeo-christian bible because uh, she was mitsuru's first partner that's actually a very good um parallel because mitsuru is definitely a by the book kind of person mm. yeah, oh. with his personality he was definitely trying to please his higher authorities as well as he could and he tried to better himself in that direction all the time so when he had this character development happening and being introduced to these new types of knowledge how he changed that actually yeah that actually matches up quite well Hmm. So we've got our, our whole Eden imagery, but it's also, this is coming from a Japanese culture, our story, and we've got the cherry blossom imagery. Uh, so we've mentioned it before. Uh, the idea is mona no aware, uh, the brevity of things, like enjoy the moment, like the, the simple things, the beautiful things that are here now because they're not going to last. And uh, Ikuno is kind of pondering this stuff. She's talking about the beauty of mistletane. And this feels like a callback to episode one, which opened with narration about discovery and finding these things profoundly beautiful. So mm-hmm. I think, and the idea is that Kokoro and Ikuno are both separately doing similar things at the same time. They're both reading, yeah. Okay. There's also Zero Two being more accepted within the group because mm-hmm. she was definitely an outcast uh, at the start, particularly with the girls. So the fact that they're more they're receiving her a lot better they give her this flower band for her horns so it's yeah. they're embracing her nature a lot better and uh yeah she's um she's yeah she's she's into the community like yeah. a lot better now yeah. yeah um so i think we can probably safely assume ikuno has f- fully recovered from the child fever uh she's in zero two's room holding the mirror for her while uh, zero two is filing her horns which in the last episode zero two was just doing it by herself I really like this. It's the the show don't tell rule of storytelling. They're showing us a relationship that's building and growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause zero two can do that by herself, but Ikuno's helping her. Yeah. And I love that Ikuno says like, doesn't that hurt? And zero two says, no, it's like, it's like filing your nails. Mm-hmm. It's like filing, like cutting your hair. Yeah. It's not like a bone. Yeah. Oh, then Miku comes in and she has the headdress uh, for Zero Two. It's interesting, again, that she is just 
able to walk into zero two's room without having to knock it feels again like oh specifically they're outside in the oh is that where it is okay yeah Yeah. all right well i have to retract that (laughs) (laughs) i did feel like oh are they saying in the last two weeks like they've gotten closer well yeah because i mean like uh uh, miku comes up with this thing and maybe they they, she didn't like come into zero to his room but miku comes with this uh uh, headband and is really excited Mm. to give it to her like i made this for you it looks really cool. And it does like not only does it, it kind of like de-emphasizes the horns, but they still poke through right. and they are complemented by the colors surrounding them now. Yeah. So could this sure. be Miku's way of saying thank you for zero two, like saving face when she found the gray hair? Mm. That could be a thing. Um, I would also point out that I think through this episode, the horns were never represented as a bad thing like in past episodes mm. uh she would actually be able to use this to hurt people like hero you know they they poke and he'd bleed kind of deal mm-hmm. and uh so there's this so it's like a symbol of being like the beast in the, in a way like it's a, it has a dark tone to it but this time around like oh you know zero two is part of us she's integrated in our community uh and rather than being afraid of it we recognize what it is and mm. that's why we can put a uh, flower band around it and we can even file it to make it uh, not as harmful, but it's part of her. And we're not, it's not like we're going to try to hide it. It's we recognize what it is. Yeah. And one of you even mentioned that the music cue had changed or like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was a music cue. We usually reserved for the garden for like uh, uh, scenes of yeah childhood. But now it's we're like focusing on the horns and and it's still this nice music as opposed to there's usually a sinister sound cue when they focus on like, oh, aren't the horns bigger in this scene? You're like, yep, they sure are. Hmm. Uh, just quick question. Mm. Is it known to the rest of the squad that Hero has started to grow horns or is that still a secret? I don't think so. Okay. They're pretty well hidden under his like. Yeah, I don't think hair. they're aware. I OK, think, I think only the doctor and Hachi. Like and uh, other adults are aware that uh, hero's physiology is changing. Oh, that's right, because they're the ones who are talking about sorification. They know that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Are we ready to move over to the nines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. So uh, my assumption was that this was an unexpected visit. It seemed like people were caught off guard. Oh yeah. Um, the triplets are missing, which maybe suggests something. Uh, I think it's just the animation budget. Oh, really? (laughs) One thing I did notice is that all of the nines have speaking parts in this episode, but the triplets Mm. have these weird uh, muzzles. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's something going on. There's something going on there. All right. So I'm I'm gonna continue with the with the biblical setting. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. in Eden, normally there wouldn't be anybody watching, but there's actually guards over it, like angels. Now, if we're going to assume that. I'm going to go a little far here. We're going to assume that the nines are kind of perfect beings as they call themselves. (laughs) Then that's kind of what angels would be like, wouldn't they? So, and they're dressed in white. (gasps) And you know, there's actually nine orders of angels. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. I missed that in Bible class, but anyway, (laughs) 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 but yeah. So them being sent in to keep an eye over God's creation Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds pretty in theme for me. So the garden setting is complete with their arrival. You know, they're making sure that things are hunky dory in in accordance to apes' um, rules. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's a a mixed reaction when these nines show up. I think Zorome is still 
excited. Like, oh, we haven't been cast aside or abandoned. I can't remember how it was worded exactly. Yeah, it snaps back their like programming. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think that is the line. It's really troubling. Yeah, but Ichigo and Nine Alpha sort of have a thing now. She is not excited. And like they sort of get into that passive aggressive banter right off the bat. Awesome. Um, this episode specifically, we do sh- have people like finally communicating things that the audience already knows, but like the, our characters have not been sharing that they really should have been. And now I'm wondering like, does the rest of the squad 13 know, like does Iku know, did she tell them like, Hey, nine alphas would be huge asshole. <laughs> like did that conversation ever happen? I bet she had it with like maybe Goro, but no, she probably didn't have it with, and she's not even roommates with Miku. Uh, well, in, in regards to how Ichigo reacted, I would have to say that she's kind of the boss, sort of, mm. in that uh, mm-hmm. in that order. And like suddenly, oh yeah, somebody else, like, oh, um, hi, we're from, we're higher ranked than you, so we're gonna watch you. <laughs> That's gonna piss somebody. I, I would be pissed off if, if I was in that position. Like, hey, like, mm-hmm. uh, how about you just communicate to us directly? We can handle ourselves. Oh yeah, this is the classic uh, surprise inspection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, and. They're all smiles, but they say like, we'll be needing our own rooms. Would you mind getting those ready? Yeah. It's that like, you know, fucking you over with a smile kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that would piss me off. <laughs> they're, they're, still, they're still eating rations. And now there's like seven more people they have to feed. They don't yeah. eat. Oh, they don't? <gasps> Wait, don't right. Right. you don't see them eat and they do not accept they sit there it makes a point of showing the plates in front of the nines and nothing has been disturbed on their plates and Zorame specifically is like oh man eat up man there's plenty of it like you deserve it and hey mm. it tastes pretty good and the guy's like it's, it's okay thank you mm. yeah so you never see them take a bite that's actually interesting <laughs> yeah not that you point that out that sets that sets them apart from uh, zero two then because yes. she has been very thoroughly enjoying mealtime, uh, as we've seen yeah. from episode one. Which tracks with, one of you was saying, like, they're less human. Like, mm. they're having less of a full experience. And that's true. They, like, cater to Papa's every whim. They have very clear ideas of what it means to be successful or not. But they don't have any agency of their own. Like, they're in control, but only as far as they're agents of Papa. Okay. So... Agents of Papa, is this why there's something between the nines and like Nana and Hachi? Is it that Nana and Hachi answer to Dr. Franks and the nines answer to Ape? Ooh, so Dr. Franks is the devil and Nana and Hachi. I don't know. They sort of are. If you're going to play the perspective that God is Ape, then Franks is sort of the devil in a sense. Sorry, I, I keep tending to jump forward. Uh, please, please, please. It kind of reminds me of one of those Urobochi anime. I can't remember the name. Where there's the extreme parts of humanity uh, being brought against each other. One is civilization and technology. And the other mm. one is the raw instinct. And I think we can all agree that Zero Two is pretty much raw instinct. And that's that's the most perfect creation by, by Dr. Franks. Mm. So he seems to be on that side. He seems to... Uh, yeah, we should all we should continue being humans in a more instinctive, more natural way. Whereas the nines and uh, the apes society, mm-hmm. they reject that completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there could be that story going on there. Mm. Oh my gosh! Okay, so there's also another thing about angels in apocryphal books of the Bible that they're not supposed to have 
uh, relations with humans, but they can. Yeah, they mm. can. They can, but they, they shouldn't. Which tracks with the nines because they have sexual organs to, to be able to pilot pilot yeah. the Franks. But it is forbidden. Mm. You do not associate with the humans. They're beneath you. Oh, oh this, this totally awesome. changes how I see the nines. This now. is so cool. <laughs> okay. This is awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, at the end of this rations sharing scene, a uh, purple haired nine. I didn't catch that name. Talks to Ichigo nine, very nine gamma. about uh, about zero two mm-hmm. and uh, is actually the seemingly the nicest of the group. Doesn't actually say anything passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound exactly genuine, but it's like, of course, we're concerned about Zero Two. She's our teammate, you know? Uh, Oh, and then it changes to Nine Alpha in the forest talking to Zero Two again. But Zero Two's got her armor now. Zero Two's got her, uh, uh, the headdress thing. Mm -hmm. Zero Two is invincible in this scene. (laughs) The statements on that one was very interesting, too. Mm, What is that? Because I would have to say there's something very contradictory, right? He says... You can never be human, like humans, and they're mm-hmm. incomplete beings. But the more you look at it, the nines have less than what humans do, right? Mm-hmm. They reject gender. They reject. They call them shackles. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah, and uh, they they don't want to interact with the rabble, for so to speak. They wouldn't eat with them. They have a lot less going on as entities, but they consider the normal humans like the squad 13 as incomplete beings mm-hmm. so there's that I, I found that as a contradiction like what's going on here maybe i'll get i'll get maybe i'll move to that point a little later but so i just wanted yeah. to point that out that there's something contradictory with what nines is saying yeah mm-hmm. and there may be some like projection there so are, are we doing like so we know that zero two is made with claxor material so are we to assume that the nines are like that like they're not human yeah, we don't know. We've seen that they get the same, the the ones in the pistol position get the same energy horns. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Nine Alpha is a huge asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he knows that this is something that matters to Zero Two. Uh, and just like, yeah, you'll never be one of them. Zero Two rejects um, her old name, Nine Iota. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Zero Two is my name. It's what the name my darling gave to me. Man, I, I don't know what to make of this scene. Like, if I was zero two, I wouldn't share anything with this jerk. But like, maybe she's just not threatened by him. Like, she can just say whatever she wants. She can share personal information, and it's not going to threaten her a bit. So the thematic interaction here is, uh, hey, come back to the pure and clean culture that we are. <laughs> you know, don't be like those incomplete savages. Mm. That, that's kind of where he's going. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, screw you. I've created my own identity. It's not given to me. I formed it on my own. That is my name. Don't call me by that name because that doesn't work for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to interact with you if you're going to be trying to uh, interact with me on these terms. And that's why she turns away. Yeah, it's actually really healthy. So I have these new observations of this episode I've never had just based on this conversation we're having. Nice. Uh, so looking at this through the lens of like Garden of Eden mythology, um, that story can be framed as like a series of conversations. You know, God talks to the two in the garden, Adam and Eve, and says, hey, here's the rules. And then you go, Eve has a conversation with the serpent. Oh, maybe that's aren't, those aren't the rules. And then Eve goes and talks to Adam. You know what I mean? There's not like the, the check back. I'm not sure what this means, but in this context of our episode, there's, again, a series of these conversations. It's interesting when we see a setup of characters talking who they're talking to in the next scene 
So here we have nine alpha and mm. zero two, and there's this confrontation about uh, their relationships. And then it goes from that, from zero two to having this private conversation with hero. And they're having like a real intimate, like a sort of yeah. define the relationship conversation. And, you know, like this is something that's been earned in the writing of our story. Like we know that they've been learning about how to be intimate, like in terms of how they talk to each other and what they share and opening up. And, and now we see it. This is just the reality they have now, right? Zero two just says it. She's like, I've drastically altered your destiny. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. In fact, um, the, this scene is where she's drawing, trying to recall a story that she prefers so much more than the story that they're given mm-hmm. to play out. Yes, right there. Yeah, she's volunteering stuff. Like, zero, uh, Hero didn't have to, like, poke and prod. She's just like, hey, I ate the picture book. <laughs> like, I wanted it to be a part of me. Like, this stuff is just naturally coming out. Oh, whoa. But, and one of you, uh, I think, Brian, I think you said, look at the pictures on the ground that she's drawing. Not all of them are of the picture book. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just like impressive drawings that she's doing, mm-hmm. which may be a subtle visual hint to be like, the picture book is not what it was anymore. She's telling a new story, her own story. Mm-hmm. Like the picture book is a framework, but we have to go beyond those bounds. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that, that actually reminds me a lot of the oral tradition in the Bible, because that's how it started. Mm. They didn't, oh. they weren't aware of writing. They weren't very, it wasn't a widespread practice. Yeah. So what they would do is they would just try to remember as hard as they can. And that's why there are deviations to it. So this, this scene is really interesting. Zero Two doesn't believe the story about killing Klaxosaurs to become human. Like she says to Hero, like, this is what I was told. Like, it's just not true. And again, this sort of gets to uh, the Garden of Eden narrative. Like, I don't recommend reading this thing literally. But if you read it literally, God says, if you eat that, you're going to die. The serpent says, are you really going to die if you eat that? I don't think so. They eat it. They don't die. They get the knowledge of good and evil. And here we have Zero Two. She doesn't believe what she's been told. What she was told was not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's taking it to the extreme mm-hmm. uh, in, in the past, in the past episodes. She's been taking it to the extreme because she's so desperate to become uh, more than what she, current, she was to the point that she would kill her partners in the process, mm. which just kind of turned her more into a beast. Oh, yeah. And uh, now that she, not she kind of 180s to that, like maybe this has nothing to do with what I want to become. And maybe that's why there's a sharp change of character after that. Yeah. All right. So we've got a, uh, a sharp tonal shift here in our conversation because I want to talk about one of the really sensitive issues of this series in general. And that is like how the show handles sexuality. Uh, and I think this scene in particular sort of presents what I felt about the show as I sort of got to know it better. So there's a scene, right? Hero and Zero Two are in Zero Two's bedroom. They're having this intimate, intimate moment both drawing pictures and then she says show me yours like this is like a reference to you know (laughs) young people that are like playing doctor or whatever i'll show you mine if you show me yours pretty clever but like we're not talking about sex now we're talking about intimacy and you know hero's drawing isn't good and he's embarrassed about it but he shows her and she Mm -hmm. gets a kick out of it and then you know they get over the embarrassment and the scene results in acceptance, which that's how intimacy should result. Mm-hmm. And this point is going to become clear, but like, I just don't feel like 
the show was really designed to be about sex, as a lot of YouTubers might frame it as, because of like the very provocative seating of the pilots, uh, a lot of the fan service that we got early on. To me, this is like our episode of really confirming, like we're really talking about like what it means to have intimacy versus sexuality. Yeah. But we're really going to be talking about that at the final scene of the episode. Okay. <laughs> so hang uh, on. So let's get there. Yeah. So this scene with the two of them is as good of a microcosm of Eden as any other in the episode. Uh, it is that safe place where the two of them can be naked together, right? They're not literally naked. They're fully clothed, but uh, they're being, like you said, intimate. Mm. And then we get a very different scene where uh the nine the blonde nine the uh uh uh, the only femme seeming one catches kokoro literally catches her oh yeah uh holds her up and is very strong and you're like oh well (laughs) but also catches her in that finds the book Mm -hmm. that kokoro has been reading uh and kokoro i guess isn't super distrustful of them yet. Maybe Ichigo hasn't had that conversation and maybe Zero Two, they haven't gotten around to that conversation that like, you can't fucking trust the nines. And so Kokoro isn't hyper aware and so doesn't pick up the book. And so that's where our trouble comes from, our main conflict for the episode. Yeah, so the blonde nine is nine delta. And I guess for this scene, nine delta is the eyes of God. Yeah, actually. Mm. Then later, it's shown that Kokoro is 100% sold on the idea because she was playing with the doll. Because mm. she likes the possibility so much. Right. Oh, I wondered. That's so awesome. Okay, so while the nines are talking about, like, what are we going to do about this? We got this book now. How are we going to punish them? Or whatever. It's juxtaposed with Kokoro playing with the doll, unaware of the conversation that's happening. So she's both unaware literally but also she's ignorant she's blissful she's still in the garden mm-hmm. oh and that brings us to our next scene yes. where she's cutting Mitsuru's hair again so now it's a regular thing the last time they did this Kokoro kissed him and he kind of ran away but it looks like they have some stability in their partnership now Yeah, they're much more comfortable being in close proximity to each other. Kokoro's much more comfortable with her hands on his body. And now it seems she's much more comfortable talking about what's been on her mind, like this forbidden Mm. fruit. Yeah, there's apple part two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess Mitsuru has just never heard the the bees and the uh, birds and the bees stories, but Kokoro is explaining sexual reproduction and she's framing it as this like, really beautiful, most natural thing in the world. Um, I guess if this is the first time you're hearing anything like it, I can imagine maybe freezing, not knowing what to say. It seems like Mitsuru is just not sure what to make of all this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he kind of picks up the role of being Adam here quite perfectly because, oh, this is deviated from the teachings that were given to us and he doesn't know what to do with it. So that's why he's taken aback. Oh, wow. And she attains the Eve role quite perfectly, right? It's not him that says, hey, I found this book. It's her that says, hey, I found this book. And you need this knowledge too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is like the closest uh, we'll get to like a sex scene in the series. Mm. Kokoro's hands like touch the nape of his neck. She unzips uh, his shirt coat thing. And we've seen that 
before Mm -hmm. in the most provocative scene, maybe in the uh, uh, confrontational scene too, in the show where Zero Two does the same thing and pushes Hero onto the ground. Sorry, go Mm -hmm. ahead, Brian. Actually, interesting juxtaposition because that was very much like a a violation, whereas this is, uh, well, I mean, Mitsuru doesn't really know. I wouldn't characterize it it as a violation. And is it, this is the scene that gets interrupted by Zorome? Yeah. Yeah. Zorome comes in and is like, are you going to press your bodies together? <laughs> that is yeah, Zorome, an awesome way of putting that. Zorome and Miku are pretty much the audience talking. Yeah, oh. That's exactly where I would step in, right? Like, hey, what's going on here? And that's exactly what he does. <laughs> hey, what's going on here? So I think that's kind of why uh, they're, they're more or less where they always are. Mm-hmm. Because they're the extension of the audience. So he, uh, he interrupts the scene. And uh, well, that it kind of just abruptly ends there. Yeah. So again... It's very interesting what they're showing, like the conversation between Kokoro and Mitsuru, a, v- a very intimate scene gets interrupted. And what happens next? Who does Mitsuru go to to talk? Mitsuru goes to Hiro. Oh, Hiro. So after Nine yeah. Alpha confronts Zero Two, Zero Two goes to talk to Hiro. And now Mitsuru has this interaction with Kokoro that's like super intense, doesn't really understand what's going on. He goes to Hiro. And like they're. They're just not talking over coffee. They're like bathing in the river, laid back, like having cloud talk. <laughs> like they're like vibing. <laughs> and like it, it reminds me of the talk at the beach episode that Hiro had with Goro when Goro was sort of piecing it together that he loved Ichigo. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what this feeling is. And um, Mitsuru almost says the exact thing. He says like, oh, that's what this is. I love Kokoro. Oh, he thinks it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's an endearing scene. Like one of the th- reasons why I like Hero is because he, I think he did it before, but he does it again here in like the psychology world. We call it the power apology. Like he doesn't just say, sorry, Mitsuru. Like he says what it is he did wrong. <laughs> because I broke our promise. Man, like they are just checking all the boxes on fixing their friendship. <laughs> I think in... In Japanese context, or it's like I guess, I guess in Asians, it's more common. Getting betrayed is like one of the heaviest things you can do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be even intentional. So in checking with Mitsuru's past, like oh, uh, you you got amnesia and he's not aware of it. Mm-hmm. And well, that's one of the largest crimes you can do to a childhood friend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so betrayal. That's in the realm of like being dishonored. Yeah. Mm. So for it to take this long and to be this thorough with. Uh, mending that relationship, I think that's a proper step in the right direction. Yeah, they do take a lot of time with it. I love it. Yeah. Um, Alan, I, I think you've probably seen a lot more anime than me. Uh, my feeling is like that I just don't see this a lot in anime. Um, most conflicts are much more on a scale of the spectacular. No, that, that's pretty much mecha anime uh, <laughs> in, in nutshells. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, maybe this is uh, Nishigori's touch coming off of Idol Master. Here we've got these social conflicts and they're resolving them by like being open and honest, talking about their feelings. I guess part of this kind of reminds me of uh, a place further than the universe. Oh, that that's a that's a journey anime, right? Yeah. So like some of the research I did on the show was like one of the intentions was not just a merging of like two different studios, but a merging of like anime vibes, I guess, like. They wanted the show to be half shonen, half shoujo, half like boys' audience, half women's audience. Yeah, there's definitely the after like episode eight or so, 
it definitely went uh, A1 pictures all the yeah. way until mm. the latter part of the series. Mm-hmm. So, you, uh, I mean, as I was watching this weekly, I was like kind of cringing, ah, teen drama, teen drama. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but along the end, it kind of all came together for me. A lot of people hated it, but I was mm-hmm. like, no, they're just clumsy about it, but I love how, what they're putting together. Oh, yeah, totally agree. All right, so we get to, uh, I feel like maybe this is the, the climax of the episode, the confrontation. Uh, the confrontation. Oh, yeah. uh, what confrontation? Yeah. Well, this is, this... oh yes, 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 yes. You're right. Okay, so we get Squad Thirteen sitting down to discuss Kokoro and Mitsuru's interaction. Mm-hmm. Everyone's there. Everyone's like, "All right, we're going to talk about this because not only is it important, it's all fascinating to us. We really want to know what's going on." So they have kind of this like anarchist sex ed where everyone teaches everyone, and it's uh, <laughs> it's really could be a wonderful meeting yeah and then the fucking nine well let's slow oh, it whoa, down whoa, let's slow it down here all right so um i was impressed with kokoro and mitsuru like they're freaking under a microscope you know it sucks to like have your personal business out in front of everybody but they handle it really well and maybe they just don't know enough about sex and intimacy to know that that's a sensitive or potentially embarrassing thing whatever uh mm-hmm. futoshi does <laughs> he has a breakdown <laughs> I thought it was really cute. Uh, Ikuno is just like, calm down. <laughs> like, it just felt like, oh, this again. Futoshi's. <laughs> Neither of us gets to be happy. Just <laughs> Yeah. And then again, uh, Zero Two opens up without having to be prompted. And she talks mm-hmm. about like, I'm so jealous. Like you guys get to just decide who you are. I can't remember. Like that was the sentiment. I can't remember how she said it exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then she's like, you know, I can't have kids. Which immediately made me think of like, can she not have kids? Or is that just again what she was told? Yeah, it could be a lie. How does she know? Yeah. Well, it is pointed out that she she's not physiologically human, so mm. probably mm. not. Okay. And I don't think she's having a kid with nine alpha. <laughs> like everyone's <laughs> open so. and sharing. Potentially a great moment interrupted by the nines. Hey everybody. And nine alpha is just there with like righteous anger, a righteous judgment. Yeah, they're, they're berating them for uh, exploring this idea. Actually, mm-hmm. this whole seemingly uh, mundane scene where there's a simple argument, everything is actually happening very quickly. Mm-hmm. So first of all, yeah, we, we they get introduced. Hey, this happened. Kokoro and Mitsuru were in the garden kissing in a tree kind of deal. And <laughs> what's going on? Yes, it was discussed. Hey, uh, Kokoro reveals that I've been reading this book that we got reproductive organs for more than just piloting franks. And that's already a big deal for him. Like, oh, oh, yeah. So uh, there's more to us than what's being told to us. Right. And Hero says that explicitly where there's greater possibility in us. Yeah. And the nines come in. Mm-hmm. And this is where the contradiction really hits me because the nines, the blonde nine says he starts arguing against like you guys are dirty, disgusting because humanity is past this we're mm-hmm. we're more than just physical forms which mm-hmm. and, and i would have stronger arguments about that but uh sure. <laughs> we're more than just physical forms our genders are shackles and i can't remember where i heard this but somebody threw me a riddle once like what does god lack what is an omniscient uh eternal being lack mm. and the answer the answer is limitation Mm. Oh, God lacks Mona no Aware. Oh. So without limitation, you, it's hard to define who you are. So if you're calling genders shackles, right. then what are you? 
are you going to be infinite possibility? That sounds great on the cover. On paper. Yeah. yeah that like on paper. But have you seen rich kids? Have you seen uh, like abundantly rich people, how they just kind of spiral their lives away into the drain mm-hmm. because they don't know what to do with their lives. They think I can be anything I want. And because I, because of that, I have like the greatest choice paralysis ever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to commit yeah. to anything. I don't want to become, I don't want to become something. So I'll become nothing. That's kind of uh, what we see play out in society. And that's what really struck me. And this is why Zero Two's, uh, how she cherishes the idea that it's so great that you guys can decide what you want to do. Mm-hmm. This is why these things, like they just really hit yeah. me like, in, in rapid success- succession. And then Ikido slaps Rodney. Oh my gosh. And uh, how dare you um, just call us that when we're trying to be something else. Yeah. So we're not just interchangeable parts of a machine. Yeah. And Ikuno, uh, who doesn't get, like, I think the respect she deserves, it's awesome that it, it's kind of her episode. So she's the one who gets to hit nine alpha. But it's also like, hey, I'm gay. You don't get to fucking tell me what I am. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, sorry if I. <laughs> so those are things that kind of struck me in that in that like span of a minute. There's so mm-hmm. much statements being thrown out mm-hmm. and I, I didn't know how to like break it down. But uh, yeah, that's about it. Like the fact that they think they're so great and they're, they're limitless is actually what their biggest flaw is. And uh, rather than acknowledging knowledge beyond what they accept, they choose to deny it. So in Eden, it's supposed to represent innocence, white, you know, pure, you're free of sin, so to speak. But all the characters within Squad 13, in their own little way, they're forming their own culture. They're forming their own culture, their own ideas. That's true with, um, with Zero Two, that you can see the discovery of new knowledge by Kokoro. And everybody seems to be receptive to the ideas. So this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is the death of innocence. Mm. It's, uh, it's becoming, it's knowing mm. that there's something else out there. This is the formation of consciousness. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're not just accepting what you're said, what you're told to do. You're not a machine. You're not, you're not programmed and then out you go. And that's what you are forever. And this is what the angels, so to speak, are rejecting. Like, no, you have to follow the hierarchy. You have to stay there. The contradiction of the in, of people that claim to be infinite possibility or try to be playing out as infinite possibility, mm-hmm. trying to restrict those that are trying to go beyond themselves. That's that's kind of weird for me. Like, I wonder what's going on here. Well, like you said, like there's so many things going on in this scene. I do really enjoy the the high level conversation we're having, but I feel like I have to drag us down into the gutter for a minute because <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, this scene in particular got a lot of uh, negative reactions on the internet on anime discussion boards. And I feel like there's a misunderstanding happening and I'll just share my perspective and we can just move on if we need to. Uh, I do not believe that nine alpha was defending like gender diversity. I think nine alpha was criticizing gender in general. And yes, definitely. Nine alpha is like the dark side of after the gender binary. This is not like it's an expression of who you are. This is like, it's a shackle. Yeah. Sorry. So if you had a certain perspective, I guess it could be confusing. Like if you thought of Ikuno slapping nine alpha to defend like gender binary norms, like, I guess that would be offending, but I just don't think that's what's happening. Like, did you see this when it happened? Like it like kind of blew up on anime news network forum when it was airing. 
I've learned to steer away from gender politics discussions because <laughs> yeah. it's just not, it just doesn't go anywhere. So, well, I'll just share but, my, my observation so that I felt like Ikuno, um, she likes Ichigo. Ichigo's feminine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She likes femininity. Mm-hmm. And if Nine Alpha is saying that's not legitimate, we've moved past that, you know, that's a lesser thing, that would be threatening and would drive someone to march across the room and slap them in the face. Mm-hmm. That's how I took Ikuno's behavior and maybe her internal process. I think how I did interpret this is, um, so Nine Alpha, it's not that he's innocent of other ideas. Mm-hmm. He's willfully ignorant. He doesn't want to recognize that other things can exist outside of what he knows. And mm-hmm. that's what Ikuno is, uh, that's what she gets really pissed about. Yeah, the, the point that Brian draws out, that's actually an excellent observation. Thank you. So for those of you out there who were kind of lost in what was or wasn't being represented, I think Ikuno is probably on solid ground here. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, like Ikuno is probably one of the most based characters in the entire series. Yeah. I don't think anyone listening to us is going to think Ikuno is in the wrong. <laughs> All right. So we go from bad to worse. Kokoro has to go to the office and get a dressing down from Hachi and Nana. Yeah. Well, first of all, they show up. Yeah. 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 And everyone's like, holy shit, where the fuck have you been? It has been months. And they're like, yeah, we weren't supposed to talk to you. Sorry. But uh, Kokoro, come with us. Uh, yeah. And Nana freaks the fuck out. Right. So, like, freaks the fuck out, but then has this, like, I can't remember what line it is, but, uh, oh, Kokoro, like, expresses herself and that like snaps something in nana she has this like deja vu feeling or something and like this electricity storm goes in her off in her head well yeah it's just like when um hero was sort of remembering something that's been erased ah is it the same visual cue Uh, okay cool so that tells us that nana probably had some uh, memories erased mm. uh, and then when the scene concludes and Kokoro leaves we see that Nine Alpha has been watching and Nine Alpha says like oh you're slipping back into puberty and you're like that's a weird thing again puberty being used as a, as a point uh, since you know kids are pure uh, they're innocent you, you can't be faulted mm-hmm. so to use puberty as a point that oh you're, you're degrading you're becoming an, you're actually becoming an adult you're but uh, to the, but uh-huh. they're using it as a point of, oh, you're, go- you're going, you're actually unevolving or backwards. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is the, this expresses how warped the knowledge that Nine Alpha holds mm. is that uh, there's a lot of things that seems to be actually backwards in how he understands things. Yeah. So I have to address the internet again. Uh, no, no, I'll make it, I'll make it quick. Um, there's jokes that Nana is getting triggered here. And maybe that's like a play on words because of studio trigger. But uh, that's not actually accurate. Nana most likely has something subconscious that is unresolved. And Kokoro's words or behavior resonate with that. Like triggers can be conscious. Like you can be aware of a trauma. Something says something. Right, that but can they your... also be unconscious? They can be, but it's usually much more complicated. So we like talk about it differently. Yeah, it's a, so um, what, what sets off Nana was uh, Kokoro's words, which is kind of where, the, where I was throwing all the philosophical stuff from. Like, mm-hmm. We weren't supposed to think for ourselves or figure things out for ourselves. Why bother having a will? Why bother mm-hmm. having feelings? Mm-hmm. And you can see the contrast between Nana and Hachi. Uh, Hachi is basically a robot in how he mm-hmm. acts, how he, he speaks. Maybe he's uh, 
the extreme version of Mitsuru had he kept going in that direction. Mm. Oh, interesting. And uh, Nana still holds something like she still holds feelings. She still has uh, emotions. And maybe there's a reason that uh, Ape left that, that behind or maybe they just really couldn't do anything about it. Mm. And that's a... Uh, I guess it's starting to show that apes hold on on humans isn't as solid as mm-hmm. it might have looked from before. I like it. So Hachi asks Nana, how long? And she says about two weeks. So if we feel like we're at the peak of the cherry blossoms, maybe maybe this started once the blossoms started blooming. So maybe watching all these interactions was awakening something in Nana. Oh gosh. So like all these intimate moments that we saw during that last episode, Nan and Hachi have been saying that mm. like Hero's speech about laughing together and crying together. Yeah. Which means the reason they've come is probably explicitly because the nines are there. They're like, Oh God damn it. Yeah. Cause things were just going, uh, things are going haywire. They were, mm-hmm. they're watching them the entire time. So, okay. It's time. It's time for the adults to step in, stop the fights. You know, kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, even in our good guy side, right? Dr. Franks, he's, uh, he's not exactly a good guy, but whatever. Like, he's better than fucking Papa. And Hachi <laughs> is robot as he is. Like, we think he has the kid's best interest at heart on some level. But there's still a little bit of misogyny because the doctor and Hachi talk about Nana. She doesn't get to be part of this conversation. And it's pretty harsh. I think the doctor's like, well, it looks like Nana's useless right now. And you're like, wait, what? Useless is a pretty fucking harsh term. But it's a pretty pessimistic conversation, even though I guess Franks thinks it's very optimistic. Franks is like, oh, my gosh, they have a human sex drive. Like, a, I don't know about natural, but like a fairly healthy human sex drive. And so, like, that's a win for him. Yeah. Well, uh, well it's obvious that Dr. Franks knows something that Ape doesn't. And he's trying to do something away from them. And it's apparent that Ape doesn't know what he's up to, which is why the Nines were sent to Mistletane. Mm-hmm. Right? Even though there was that intervention, he was able to achieve something he wanted. And that was like, oh, these uh, Squad 13 is special because they're still capable of a sex drive. And we're actually not sure what he wants out of that. All right. I like it. So we go from this discussion that's sort of informing our world building to something crazy well another world building scene which is man i didn't think about like these scenes really do lead into each other really well you're like okay here's the guys behind the scenes that we like nana hachi and the doctor okay now here's the guys behind the scenes that we don't like the fucking lamarck club they're gonna go try to assassinate this klaxosaur princess are we to assume this is the grand crevasse yeah, it looks like the Grand Crevasse after that giant explosion. Okay. The Streletzia plus the Nines, they like decimated that thing. So uh, the establishing shot looks awesome. It looks like a fucking wound in the ground that is just bleeding blue. Now, is that what the giant baby oh, yeah, hand yeah. came out of? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So proximity wise, uh, mi- mm. Mistletane is very near here. Yeah, pretty close. So what do they find down here? Asami Tachibana, the composer, gives us one of my favorite pieces of music, a new piece of music for the series, Code 001. Mm. Very ominous piano and this like very haunting like horror movie choir. Reminds me of something from a Hammer film. Yeah. And then we get this very disconcerting, not our first look, but our first longer look, 
this Klaxosaur princess or queen or whatever, uh, humanoid looking, but like blue, single horn, got these weird appendages. Yeah. Looks very young, has that kind of like childlike empress uh, kind of thing going on. Looks very young, mm-hmm. but is sitting there waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, could, this is a court. Yeah. Could, could have been an eldritch monster, but in anime form. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So common anime trope, whether it's like an ancient vampire or someone who is like centuries old being in this youthful appearance and a couple of big ass like serpents or dragons with her. Awesome. Well, we've just been talking about the Garden of Eden, Mm -hmm. so the serpents aren't out of place. That's awesome. Even though it seems that Franks is our serpent in that allegory. But I love these giant snakes and we're going to get into, we're going to get into this person. We're going to get into the giant snakes and the symbolism and what this means for zero two and what links there are there in future episodes. But I just love that this person has snake familiars. Oh, and it's really weird. They like open their mouths and you'd think they'd just be identical snakes. But they're not. They have slightly different designs, almost like they're based off of two different breeds of snake. Yeah. So and they, when yeah. they scream, that like sort of paralyzing uh, sonic wave or whatever, like one of them has weird blue energy inside and the other just has like mechanical layers. Yeah. And when the Klaxosaur princess screams, it's not just a scream, right? Yeah. It's this like telepathic calling. Yes. There's two members of the ape council there. One of them's affected by the princess's scream and the other isn't. The one being affected is like, no, it can't be. Mm-hmm. And the one that isn't affected rushes uh, the Klaxosaur queen and goes to kill her. Oh, yeah. Tarzier. Yeah. Tarzier gets killed. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and then uh, the princess uh, uh, knocks off his face mask and it looks like the clothing is empty, right? Yeah. And then says okay. human wannabe weird awesome okay so maybe we can address um, that in the spoiler section (laughs) very vague scene i can interpret it in a number of ways uh the one that's off the top of my head is they won the grand crevasse battle so they're here to negotiate the surrender and as i've mentioned before i think ape society is like the purest form of civilization Mm. Uh, machines rules logic like all that right okay and here they come trying to negotiate or receive the surrender of what is probably the rawest form of instinct natural stuff polar opposite basically ah. the exchange doesn't go as smoothly as they've thought it turns out the battle isn't quite over it's just on hiatus for the time being even the these white robe people like one of them seems to be pure brain the other one seems to be pure brawn and even at at their extreme forms, they're no match for the Klaxosaur queen slash princess, not sure what we'll call mm-hmm. it. Oh my God, you're so awesome. That I'm. Thank you for phrasing in that way of like civilization versus instinct or the wilds, right? Because in this framework, so I, I think there's a lot of Sumerian or Babylonian mythology uh, uh, as a core for this. And in the epic of Gilgamesh, he he gets this best friend, Enkidu, right? But mm-hmm. at first, Enkidu is this wild man who does not belong right. to civilization. He is wholly untouched by man's world, essentially. He gets along with the forest and everything. And when Gilgamesh sends people to deal with him, they are fucking gone. They are dead. So there was also like a schism between the two members of the Ape Council, right? Like the mm-hmm. one who was affected said like, no, this isn't what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen a schism with an ape before. 
like the leader of apes said something about releasing souls or some shit and like the mm-hmm. others were like what <laughs> and i just feel like there's breadcrumbs being laid for us yeah they're setting up the next arcs for yeah. story but yeah i'm that, that's what i'm that's what i've seen so far like as far as i can dig here it's simply showing that the battle isn't over and even at the most extreme points it's not as simple as it's just going to be a received surrender one cannot just overtake the other with brute force because they're just so different in such a way that they'll never get along by one being dominated. There has to be a sort of negotiation here. So we go from this back to uh, squad 13. And I think I got ahead of myself. Uh, I mixed up this scene with the other other scene. Uh, This is where zero two opens up about not being able to have children. Oh yeah. And where, uh, what's his name? Hero talks about like possibilities mm. and maybe doing something outside of Papa's programming or control. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool that we have two scenes juxtaposed, right? We have them discussing this stuff and kind of proverbially or literally eating the apple, like discussing knowledge, forbidden knowledge outside of Papa's purview. And at the same time, Mitsuru goes to find Kokoro, doesn't waits for her, doesn't find her, goes to her room and finds her. And they also physically, they eat the apple, right? Like, ugh, it's just awesome. These parallels are so wonderful. It's so intricately designed, especially in this episode. Yeah. So, man, I really like this scene. I feel like uh, we're seeing uh, Mitsuru growing as a character again. I feel like what's implied is that they agree Kokoro should have been back by now. That's when Mitsuru goes to go and find her. And he finds her. Oh, does he? Yeah. I mean, she's broken, right? She's now saying, like, uh, I was wrong. You know, like, whatever Mm. Nanan Hachi said, like, it got to her. And, like, she's apologizing to him, Mitsuru, for pushing him. uh, And then he shows his support. And he initiates the kiss. Yeah. I think this is the first time that he actually conforms to the idea, or anybody, aside from Zero Two, uh, supporting the idea because everybody was just exploring it up to this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we cut away from this intimate moment and we again go to another intimate moment. Zero, two, and Hero are back in her room again. This is where Ikuno's ending narration kicks off again, I think. Yeah. Um, Poor Ikuno. But um, again, this is um, sort of getting back to my point about how this show is handling sexuality versus intimacy. There's a lot of sexuality in mainstream anime. Uh, most of it mm-hmm. is for tantalization or for a laugh. There's not a lot of like suggestion like, oh, these characters just had sex. Well, Mitsuru and Kokoro just had sex, but mm-hmm. that it wasn't for our gratification. We didn't see a hot and steamy scene. We see an intimate embrace afterwards. That's true. So I think maybe as of this episode, I was just like, okay, I get it. So this episode is your thesis statement for the show, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but like i think um the, the despite all the fan service that the series throws out it actually handles sex and sexuality with a great amount of restraint mm-hmm. even uh even you know being gay like i believe they try to handle that as delicately delicately as they can mm-hmm. and uh you know leave the conversation for those who are viewing mm-hmm. but this is Ikuno. we're not going to condemn her we're not going to support her too strongly but we understand that her situation is difficult from where she is mm-hmm. yeah so. uh what you're just saying is another to me another example of like uh show don't tell 
like we could have had Econo's narration just lay everything out, all the messages for us, but they didn't. And the insights on Ikuno's character are just non-verbally shown to us, like how she's sitting with the rest of the girls while they're doing their bathing, her proximity, like during the beach scene. Like, again, we get the breadcrumb trails of her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of get our ending. Ikuno talks about endings big and small. Uh, we get a little uh, pan over zero two working on the book. And then we get that, like you said, that intimate shot of Mitsuru and Kokoro. It's very sweet. It's respectfully done. Mm-hmm. The shot is actually really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's just like one slow pan over a still frame. But it is really uh, darling. Like, darling, darling. It's, it's a wonderful end of the episode. Yeah. And then we get one more scene, which kind of breaks your heart. And you're just like. All right, everything can't be fun. Nothing can be good. Nice. The nines go back to talk to Papa. You're like, ooh, somebody's been bad. God, that's kind of yeah. how it has to end, though, right? Because it has to end with them getting kicked out of Eden. Yeah. Yep. Uh, before we talk spoilers, Alan, if people loved your voice, loved you, and how could they not? Uh, where would they go to find more of you? We're on Facebook, so Remove Files. Just look straight on Facebook. I stream Tuesdays and Thursdays normally. We're, we also have a YouTube channel where we try to update as regularly as we can. I'm catching up mm-hmm. with a lot of reviews while attending <laughs> engineering school. It's hard. Anyway. Oh, wow. And finally, for everything that we make, you will find it on RaymondRufas.com where we have news for Avid Geeks, especially for games and mecha. Oh, and Tokusatsu. Chad's been really into Tokusatsu lately. Tokusatsu meaning right? live action. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and if someone listening like Darling and the Franks, what's what would you recommend they check out after Darling and the Franks? Oh, that's a t- that's tough. <laughs> okay, uh, like I like I said, Gene Chap, but you know, I'll, anime doesn't necessarily age well. <laughs> to me, Darling and the Franks is a hero's journey of the formation or the consciousness. Okay, which is not just of one person, but of, of people and the community formation of a culture. It's mm. it really ah. feels like the book of Genesis when I, whenever I look back at it. But I guess another year story that's pretty good is uh man, Spirit Circle doesn't have an anime. It's pretty amazing. Uh it's a manga. It's about two people that basically hate each other at the start <laughs> and they re- they reincarnate several times and the hate fades. And I'm giving oh. it such a such a basic summary, but it's so interesting because it starts with basically Mayan Mayan civilization and it, and it explores the idea that people can store their consciousness in the future in a graveyard so they're not actually dead dead hmm. right their spirit is encapsulated and they encounter each other repeatedly in in various types of relationships through time as they re, as they reincarnate and that's why it's a circle it keeps um, going around and around and uh, oh, yeah. the relationship evolves. I recommend it as a read, at least. Uh, so can you give us the title of that again? Spirit Circle. That's a manga. Okay. Right nice. on. Okay, cool. All right. Are, are we all ready? Ready. Okay. Right. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. All right, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> it was very fun to talk. <laughs>